Uh, what I'm sharing from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and, and we've got verses 1 to 10, but I'm actually picking it up half a little way through. Uh, and the reason I'm doing that is that there is uh, some context and it's actually following on from uh, some teaching from before. There's a little bit of context I want to give and I want to explain a little bit about Paul. So, so Paul um, is this amazing guy, right? He's, he's had this life and his life was actually lived in uh, antagonism to Christianity. He, he set out to close the thing down. He was so far removed from a Christian it, you know, he's just, he's, they were to be punished. He is a Jew and a very Jewish Jew and he's a, a man of God and these people are heathens and, and wrong. How many people here have been sort of in the other camp, anti-God, and then here we are, right? You know, your past life doesn't designate your future and Paul is a great witness of that. And when Jesus came into his life, Everything was different for Paul. All that knowledge, all that fervor, all that fire he had for the Jewish God, he now had for this God because he knew it was the same God. So Paul was this pretty important guy. And he traveled around all over the place, spreading the gospel, setting up churches. Interesting fact, everywhere where Paul planted a church, there is still a church to this day. Even though most of those countries are Middle Eastern countries, that are um, predominantly Muslim countries. It may be hard for those churches to be there, but everywhere he planted a church, there is still a church today. I think that's incredible. So, this is in Corinth. Corinth is in Greece. Greeks are pretty clever. They have some arguments that they can put towards this, but these are Greek Christians that have come to it, and this is the second letter he's written to them because there are some problems in their church. That's the context, that, the only context I can give to this. As I said, I'm not, I'm not pulling this to pieces. But it's pick up from where I want to go from. And he says this, But I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. What he's saying there is, even if he was to boast about himself, actually, he's done some pretty good stuff. You know, so he has a right to boast. He's done some good stuff. But I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sakes, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Sounds a bit counterproductive. How does, how does that all work out? What Paul is, is really talking about is that in those moments of our hardest troubles, it's when God can really work. It's when we can see victory, right? Everyone thinks, oh, living in victory means that you, you've got no issues. Everything's sorted. That's not living in victory. That's not really living, right? We live in a fallen world. Living in victory is when that issue comes along, when that problem comes along, you beat it in Christ. That day, you have victory over it. Maybe the next day you won't until you have total victory over it. 
But that's living in victory. Those problems coming up and you choose Jesus, you have victory over it. You can have victory over addiction, victory over bad habits, victory over mental health, victory over whatever it is that's setting you up. And God wants you to be free from them things. But think about what Paul is saying here. He had a fall in his flesh, a messenger from Satan. Now, we don't exactly know what that is. Lots of people think it's some kind of illness. We do know that he stayed with other churches and he, he stayed with them and he was ill when he was there. Um, so, you know, it could be an illness. It could be, a, um, uh, some people think it might be like a lust or a, a physical thing. That's what my nan believed, but she was Catholic, so she believed that about everything. It's just the way it was. But we just don't know what it was. But we do know this, that it was so painful for him, so distracting for him, that three times he, ple he pleaded with the Lord to take it away from him. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Yeah? And he said it, he had it, he realised he had it so he didn't become conceited. Because he was a great man, he's doing great things. So instead of boasting about how great he was, God kept reminding him, actually, you've still got this problem. You've got this illness. You've got this issue that's wrong with you. Why? So that the only reflection that Paul can give is to God. Everything he does is God. This is a reminder that he is very much human and he's not God. But it's interesting to me because it's in our weaknesses that we find our power, right? If you have been a violent man, if you have been a woman that's taken drugs, if you've been someone that's spent your lifetime telling lies, stealing, thieving, whatever, when Jesus changes you, you can go back to people that have been violent men and people that take drugs and people that steal or tell lies, and you can say, I did that. But now because of Jesus, and you can boast in your weakness, that's what he's talking about. When people are going through problems, like struggles, when they're being persecuted or they've got no money, and you can say, you know what, I had no money. And this is what Jesus did in that situation. I can boast through that. But we can't take that, like those situations, and we can't grow in that and let Jesus grow in that unless we share those situations. That God works in our weaknesses, but he also works through our vulnerability. And if I put off an image, if I ever stand up the front and I keep telling you all, if you could just be a bit more like me, uh, amazing like I am, and Christian like I am, and never put anything right, no one would stay here. And if you stay here, more fool you, right? Don't worship people. Don't follow people, right? If I stand up here and say, we need to work on this. I struggle in this area, but I believe Jesus will give me victory in this. Uh, if I talk like this, if you have a teacher that talks like that, you know he's following Jesus. We all struggle. There is no one that doesn't struggle. And I need to be vulnerable. I need to let you know that I struggle. You need to let your brothers and sisters know that you struggle, or they're never going to come alongside you, support you, pray for you. And until they come alongside you, support you, pray for you, God cannot work in your situation. So there's another way that he's strong in our weakness. Yeah, we have to let each other know about our weakness so God can step in and you know it's God. You know, a friend prays for you, everything changes. We might hear a bit more about that in, in a while. But you know it's God because you know it's not your friend. He had no magical powers the last time you saw him. You know, just a friend, right? Just a great guy. It was God, right? So we need to make ourselves vulnerable with each other 
but also with God. He knows everything, right? He knows everything, but he also wants you to take it to him. Don't hide from it. If you go wrong, if you mess up, and you're like, I can't go back to that fellowship, they'll know I've messed up. Who wants to keep you ruined? Who wants to keep you in a mess? There is an enemy that wants to keep you ruined. Who wants you to be strong for your weakness? The Lord. Who wants you to be sharing and open? The Lord. But I will say this, we need some discernment about being vulnerable. There's no point in turning up on your first night and telling everyone all your dirtiest secrets. Because uh, you don't know who's in that room. You haven't made any trust with those people. And if one person shares that outside of there and your whole neighborhood knows, then any vulnerability that you're ever going to work with the Lord is gone. You need to build trust. So first, make yourself vulnerable to the Lord. And when you're comfortable making, being vulnerable to the Lord, make yourself vulnerable to each other. And then God can work in that situation. So I want to talk about encouraging us all to be strong for our weaknesses. We know what they are. But actually, we're not helping people unless other people know what they are. And so other people to know what our weaknesses are, we need to be vulnerable. We need to make ourselves vulnerable. But in the Lord. That's not exposing ourselves completely to abuse and, and, and whatever. It's within the Lord. And he'll tell you when that's right. So if you mess up, if something goes wrong in your life and, and you think, oh, I can't go back to Cornerstone. They're all going to judge me. No one here is going to judge you. We've all messed up. If, if things have gone wrong and, and you're like, oh, I just can't take it to the Lord. It's just too much. I don't want to even look at my Bible. He's seen it all before and he's ready. And if you want to boast about great work, say you've done something amazing. Say your church is doing something amazing. It's really good to say, to not say, sorry, our church is just the greatest church. It's doing all these amazing things. What is a good thing to say is God is doing great things for our church at the moment. Some of the people at my fellowship, God is doing amazing things through them. God is doing incredible things. I boast through the night show. I boast about the night show because God is doing amazing things. In this bar. I boast about Cornerstone. God is doing amazing things at Cornerstone. In fact, I boast about this borough. At the moment, the churches are so together in this borough that God's doing amazing things. And there are amazing people that are saying yes to God. But those people have made themselves vulnerable to God, vulnerable to each other, and they're being strong in their weaknesses. Yeah, it's really important. It's the upside-down kingdom. It's not about how great you are, how strong you are, how intelligent you are, how rich you are, how impressive you are. It's about how broken you are and how vulnerable you are to the Lord. Because you've got to be broken for him to come in. Right, that's how it works. Okay, that's, um, that's uh, me done. I'm going to introduce Matthew. Thank you, Ian. Thank you. Good evening, Cornerstone. As you know, my name's Matthew Sims. Uh, some of you have met through the Alpha course that I've done here a few months ago. Um, so I'm sorry that you're hearing this again. But um, for those who don't know me, I'm an individual that's been living with cancer for um, since May 2016, actually. That's when I was first diagnosed with it. Um, couldn't believe it when they told me because for, I was brought up as a Christian, as a young boy, going to church and got to about 14, 15, family stopped going, I don't know why, but I ended up playing football and chasing girls and doing all that stuff. So I was a watered down Christian. I believed in God and Jesus, but it was on the back burner for me, never come to church, never pray, nothing like that. So I had a real lovely life, wonderful job, money, 
family life, good health, and then 2016, May, had a hip pain in my hip, go to the GP, tests, and then they said, yeah, you've got cancer. It's called myeloma. Never heard of it. It's not a lifestyle cancer. It's not connected to smoking, drinking, you know, it, overeating. It's, your body just makes it, it's in the blood, and it attacks the bones from inside out. So, um, couldn't believe it, but they tell me there's no cure, treatment. So I go off and have, um, it attacks my spine, shoulder, chest, throat. This is where I've got it. After all these uh, PET scans and CT scans, I go. So um, it puts me on, because uh, it attacked my spine, my spine collapsed. And I'm on two sticks, I'm on two sticks. Just about incredible pains in the legs. I go off to um, St. Thomas's in London for four, I go every day for, for four weeks, have this uh, radiotherapy around my spine to try and reduce this tumour that's eaten away at my vertebrae and disc. And I was walking all upsided, my, my stunt was out here, yeah, it was really very, very strange, very strange. So I go through that and then they give me um, chemo, chemotherapy. Um, and that was six months up at Queen Elizabeth up in Woolwich and they called it a smart drug where you don't lose your hair through it uh, and I go once a month to have this injection but all the while they're giving me more tablets I've got a Macmillan nurse and she's prescribing me these tablets morphine, liquid morphine I'm popping all these tablets and uh, the pain was just relentless, just relentless. After a year, finished me six months chemo. The plan was to get this all in remission and then to have a spine fusion on my vertebrae where they put an injection in and cement them together. I lost my height, I was six foot four, you know, I'm six foot two now. And, um, Work-wise, I had a fantastic job, 22 years. I worked for the government in defence, defending the realm. But because I couldn't go back to what I was doing, they paid me off, got rid of me. Didn't want to leave the job, I loved it. But, so I lost my job. Uh, family and friends, they stopped coming round. Stop, phone call stopped. And I could, I could see that, you know, the way I was looking. They've given me 50% chance of surviving four years. You know, what do people say when they come around? You know, I can understand that. But um, so I was in a real, real, real dark place. And then um, we go through to June now, 2017. They get all this in remission. And um, you're having a bone marrow transplant. Okay. Still on these two sticks, still on these two sticks. My Mick Miller says, we tend you to... King's College Hospital, see the spine team there, but we've got to get this cancer sorted, Matt, otherwise they won't touch you. Okay, still popping all these tablets. My, my day was, my wife would, uh, she'd go to work, uh, she'd get me up, she would dress me, I couldn't dress myself, couldn't dress myself. I walked down the stairs backwards, holding a handrail stick, 
try one step at a time. And then I sat in his chair, and that's where I stayed until six o'clock when my wife came home. So I was, a, I was, I just didn't know what to do. I just didn't know what to do. So I'm just being, you know, being led by these uh, doctors and nurses and Macmillan nurses and um, just going along. And I was barely existing. I lost my identity, you know. I loved all my sport, couldn't do none of that. And uh, I've got a young wife, wow, you know. It was just, I just didn't know where to turn to. And then, um, so I go through this bone marrow transplant in 2017. Can you put that? Um, and this is the only photo I've got, and I don't like looking at it, but. Um, so, so I'm at King's College Hospital for 10 days, go through his bone marrow transplant, they give me a low more chemo, it's a big bag of chemo, it takes an hour to go through, I had a Hickman line connected, and this is where uh, I become very unwell, put me on my knees, it really did. And this is a couple of days after I come home, uh, sort of recovering. Still, I'm still going on about my spine, you know, I need this, this fusion. My back's against the wall and I just don't know what to do. I try to, I try to walk. I didn't tell my wife this, but I was trying to walk, but without the sticks, but I kept collapsing on the floor, dragging myself up. And then um, the appointment come through for King's College Hospital. And that is in November 2017. I go in there, got my sticks, just getting in there, sit down. And this guy, and everyone's telling me these, spine team at King's College, not only the best in the country, the best in the world. So for me, there's hope. And this guy says to me, Matthew, I've seen your new images. And he said, your vertebrae and your disc is completely gone. Vertebrae have collapsed, your L4 in the lumbar, L4 and 5. And he said, I can't get the needle in to put the cement in. He says, there's nothing I can do for you. And I get a little bit angry with him. I said, look, I'm standing up now, I'm leaning over. I said, look, you, look I'm a young man, you know, 55, 56. You need to, look at me, I've got no quality of life. You've got to do something for me. And he said, I'll see you in the new year. So he made an appointment for March 2018. And it was through Christmas, December, January. It's a dark month, you know. I'm indoors. I'm, about 3.30 of the afternoon, got no heating on, no lights on, I'm just sitting there. I've got to do something for myself, I've got to do something for them. what can I do? And all of a sudden, this guy, Hugh Burgess here, his, mind come, uh, his name comes into my mind. I think, well, wow, where's it come? I've known him since I was 12, not seen him for 15 years, we lost touch. But he told me a story when he had an encounter with Jesus. And uh, that stuck with me story and he also prayed for his sister his sister hurt her arm and it was like broken and he prayed for her arm and it healed in front of him and that stuck with me that was like a little seed so I thought how do I find this guy I've not seen him for 15 years come to me again Facebook Man, where's these thoughts coming from I just couldn't believe what was going through my head find him on Facebook messaged him and he comes the next day, he walks in, and I'm like this. And he goes, I oh, can't, wow, come on, man. 
and we have a little catch up but then he starts to share Jesus with me he starts to tell me about his walk with Jesus and he starts to pray for me and he comes for about a month every day for a month this guy and um, when I go back to King's College in the new year in the March I have a new x-ray done in the morning and I see this specialist, the one previous, when he said to me, there's nothing I can do for you. And I walked in, and he's smiling. He's smiling his head up. I said, what's the matter? He said, I've got some good news for you. I said, oh, yeah, what's that? He said, I've been doing this job a long time. He said, I can't explain it. Never seen this. He said, but your vertebrae have opened up. Now, from something that's been collapsed, how does that open up? And that's what convinced me there and then. Okay, so all the cancer now, that's all gone, that's through all the chemo, you know, the research, the money that's gone into that, that's, I, that's chemicals, I can understand that, but what convinced me was my spine. How does that open up? And he said to me, I'm going to do that procedure at the end of the week for you. I can see you're still in some discomfort. So I went in, we, I stay overnight, still got my sticks. And he, in the morning he comes around, he says to me, right, get out of bed, Matthew. So, okay. Give me sticks. He said, no, I'll just hold on to them a moment. No, got out of bed. Wow, I've wow, got my height back. He said, start walking. Wow, I'll start walking down. Couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. So I phoned my wife up. Come get me. Come get me. She comes up, my father-in-law. I'm walking. She's carrying my sticks now, my wife, and, and the bag, the overnight bag. My father-in-law gets there. He goes, well, I can't look at you. He said, I can't believe it. I said, can I say? I said, it's through power of prayer and it's all Jesus, you know? So Hugh says to me, um, I want you to come to Cornerstone, which is at Bromley, this church of Bromley. Hugh goes there. He said, I want to meet the young pastor. So, okay. So, so we go over there. I get introduced to this guy and I tell him the story I'm telling you now. And he said, Matthew, you've experienced a miracle. He said, people believe in them, but they don't want one because... There's something wrong with you. But he says, you've experienced a miracle. And they call me the miracle man now. Some people said that I've been touched by the Lord. I hope I, he's put his healing hands on me, you know. So I'm convinced of it. I'm absolutely convinced of it. So, um, so that was the first healing. The second healing was uh, um, every... Uh, as you go in the front door at Cornerstone Church at Bromley, to the right is an NCP car park, and there's a sign that says car park, but the car, letters to the car, have fell off, and the P to the park, and it just says ARC. That's what it just says, ARC. As you walk in, you see it. So every three months, I go to King, uh, Queen Mary's for a checkup now, blood test, and see them. And in um, August last year, a couple of weeks before I went to see my cancer specialist, I get a little lump come up in the throat. And I go on Google, doctor. Don't ever do that, you know what I mean? So scary. And I think, oh, okay, what's this now, you know? And sure enough, she felt it, and she said to me, yeah, we get you an ultra scan done. Okay. So that comes through, and that's the 8th of September, which is a Sunday. The 1st of September, previous Sunday, I'm at church, uh, and I've got to know quite a few people there and 
one of the, one of the, the ladies comes over to me and we're chatting, having a coffee. She says, how's your health, Matthew? And I didn't really know what to say anything to her, but I, I said, yeah, look, I've got this lump come up. I've got an ultra scan next Sunday. Don't know what to do about it. She said, let me pray. And she just, she didn't touch me. She just put her hands out and she just said, a, no, no, no magic words. It was just, by your stripes, you are healed. By Jesus' precious blood, you're covered. Just a nice little prayer for healing. So the following Sunday, I take myself off. I'm on my own. I'm, I go up there and um, in the waiting room. And I'm a bit nervous. You know, I've got apprehension. I think, oh, you know, what's going to happen? And there's four couples there, and everyone's on their phones. Just no one's. I'm looking to make conversation with someone, eye contact, you know, say good morning. But everyone's heads down. And all of a sudden, this bit of scripture comes to my mind, and it's uh, it's Mark chapter five, verse thirty-six, and it's Jesus, and he's saying he's in a synagogue, and the owner of the synagogue comes in and says to him, "I've just had news: my daughter's died. Would you come to the house?" And he, Jesus' words is, don't be afraid, just believe. Let me just check that. Don't be afraid, just believe. And that comes to, and I thought, wow, yeah, why do I need other, you know, I've got the Lord with me, he's sitting with me, he's, he's there, you know. So while I'm waiting, I get this, I think it's the Holy Spirit, the Lord talking to me, and he says, Matthew, don't worry, you're in my hands. I've healed you once, I will heal you again. But I want you to share something with the radiographer. Wow. What am I going? I want you to share something about me with the radiographer. Okay. So with that, the door open, his young girl there, Matthew Sims. Yeah, it's me. So I'm, you're the radiographer. She went, no, no, not me. She said, this guy here, look around. And this guy introduces is his name's Mohammed. Okay, I'm thinking, Mrs. Lord, thanks, Lord, you know, this guy's a Muslim, you know. But I, I, and I'm thinking, oh. and he's he's reading my notes, so shirt off, laying on the couch, and uh, he's just reading his notes. And uh, go on, tell him something about me, Matthew. Go on, tell him. So I go, okay, so I said. Um, how long have you been doing this job? Oh, a few years. Okay. Where do you, where do you, where do you live? It's Bromley. I said, ah, oh. so I go to a, a good church at Bromley. I said, it's wonderful. I said, the thing is, I said, and when you walk in, I said, there's a sign up that says Ark. And he says to me, I'm not a Christian. I said, well, that's all right. He takes anyone. And he said, can you be quiet? He said, I'm reading your notes. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so then he starts this, this scan that the pregnant women have, you know, and he's just looking at the screen and he's like, can you turn your head towards me? So, yeah, okay. And he's shaking his head. He's touching the keyboards and he's going, and he's pressing harder and harder. He took it away and he said, what are you here for? What are you here for? So I said, well, this lump. I've just come through all this cancer and the cancer doctor sent me here um, for further investigation. Hmm. So he starts again. 
And he's pressing so hard, I could hardly talk. Hardly talk. So I'm thinking, oh, what am I going to say now to him? The Lord wants me to share something. So anyway, he just stops. So he said to me, um, I can't find nothing, Matthew. There's nothing there. And I said, you know why? I said, last week, I had a friend of mine, born again Christian, who prayed for me. I said, that was seven days ago. I said, and seven is very significant in the Bible because it means completion. So 1st of September, the Lord started to perfect the healing. Come the 8th of September, it was completed. And he turned around and he said, I wish my God could heal like that. And I said, it's about time you got yourself a new God then. <laughs> and, I had to, I, and with that, I walked out. And so I've come here for the Alpha course. I don't know if you've done it or if you can do it. It's an amazing course. I met some wonderful people. Dale's got a fantastic story. Paul's got a fantastic story. Met this lovely young lady, Gemma. So welcoming. And this guy, he's so up on the scriptures. He's amazing, you know. And uh, it's, yeah, so, so um, never ever thought that I'd be standing here. Never thought. I don't know what the future holds for me, but, you know, um, you can see how I was there to how I am now. I'm on no tablets, no painkillers, no sticks. So when, when life's not, a bed of roses. Just remember who wore the thorns that won the victory on the cross that allows us to have little victories in our lives. And addiction is the, is the easiest thing in the world to have an opinion on, but it's the hardest thing in the world to recover from. Keep your faith, keep your trust, keep praying, pray for each other, this guy did for me, and what can I say?